The book of Hebrews chapter 12. How many of you guys love the book of Hebrews? A lot of great stuff in the book of Hebrews. Amen. And uh, here tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit um, with something that God gave me. I struggled for the last three days. Praise the Lord. Thanks to my pastor. Hallelujah. How many know it's, it's always good when somebody challenges you, right? And sometimes in the beginning, it always might seem, as a, seem like a struggle, right? Sometimes a challenge can sometimes seem like a struggle. But it's really not a struggle. It's really a challenge. Amen. And uh, so thank you, Pastor, for the challenge. Praise the Lord. But uh, so hopefully tonight uh, I was able to rise to the challenge. Um, but God gave me, as I was rising to the challenge, I could say not that I was struggling, but I did. I guess I could say I struggled a little bit. But uh, God gave me something. And because, again, God had to hold up the mirror. I had to look in the mirror. And uh, tonight... How many of you guys remember high school? God bless all five of you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, me neither. I don't really remember high school too much either. Amen. That was kind of a blur. Praise the Lord. It was funny. I just got a text the other day, uh, or actually it was on Facebook, inviting me to my 30-year class reunion. I was like, oh, no, this can't be right. I'm like, 30 years? No. It can't be 30 years. I'm like, man, 1988 was that long ago? I was like, good Lord. I was like, man, you know, and it was like, wow, okay. You know, that was another, you know, reality check, praise God. But I'm going to take us back to high school for a minute, amen. How many of you guys can remember high school? Praise the Lord. They had this one class in high school. It was called physics. Anybody remember physics? Some of you guys might never, never got out of life science and graduated to physics, amen. But you can go ahead and have your seat here tonight, amen. I want to make you stand. You can just watch me stand, praise God. But keep your Bibles there open in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll be there in a second, amen. But I'm going to take you to physics really quick, and then you'll see why in a minute. But see, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to paraphrase Newton's first law of motion for you here. I'm going to paraphrase it. See, Newton's first law of motion states this, and again, this is paraphrased. I'm not going to get all technical. Unless acted upon by force, an object at rest will stay at rest, and an object in motion will stay in motion. Okay, you guys, are you with me? Yeah. Carrie's with me. All right. Carrie's always with us. Amen? I like that. I'm going to say it again. Unless acted upon by a force, an object at rest will stay at rest, and an object in motion will will stay in motion. In other words, unless someone or something does something to change something that is stationary, it will stay that way, and something that is moving will keep going. Okay? I'm going to say that again, too. In other words, unless someone or something does something to change something that is stationary, it will stay that way, and something that is moving will keep going. For example, a book. This is a book, right? A book set on a table will remain in the same place until you or I do something with it. If I just stare at it, it's not going to do anything, right? So unless I do something to that book, it's going to stay exactly where it's at. It's not going to move. Are you with me? Now, if we apply force to the book and slide it across the table, the book will want to keep moving in the same direction and the same speed as we started it moving unless something applies force to stop it. Are you still with me? So if I put the book here and I leave it there, it's not going to do anything by itself. But if I apply force to it, 
and slide it, it'll move. Amen? You saw it, right? Okay. Unless something else applies force to it. I want you to remember that. Now, how many of us know that what happens to a book when you push it across a table? Just pretty much what just happened, right? If you grab a book and you push it across the table or you push it across the floor, we all know what's going to happen. As I push it, it's going to keep going, right? It's going to keep going until either it stops or... gets to the end of the table or the end of the floor and falls off. Amen? Didn't want to do that to that book. But I didn't have another one. Amen? But that's what happens when you push a book across the table. When you apply the force to the book or to something that is at rest, it's either going to stop or it's going to fall off the other end under the floor. And why does it do that? Why does that happen? Why does that book stop? Or why does that book fall off the end and hit the floor? While we apply force to get the book moving, there's another force. Look at your neighbor and say, there's another force. There's another force. That force is called the resistance. The resistance of the table against the book will slow it down. The resistance of the book will slow it down. If the book reaches the end of the table, another force called gravity will change its direction and pull it to the floor just like you saw right now. Even a bullet fired from a gun. Even if I, I was actually going to ask Pastor, hey, can I borrow one of the guns from Shotgun tonight? I'm going to do an illustrated sermon. And, but I was like, nah, I better not. Amen. I was even thinking about using a book to kind of illustrate it, but I don't want to throw it because I might actually hit somebody. Amen. But even if I was to fire a bullet from a gun, eventually that bullet is going to stop. And it's going to slow down, stop, and it's going to hit the ground. Can somebody say Amen. Right? Why? Because the force or the resistance of that bullet that is coming against it eventually will slow it down and that bullet will stop and hit the floor. It'll no longer continue to fly through the air. Well, what's the point? Look at your neighbor and say, well, what's the point of physics? Well, see, spiritually, we're just like the book or the bullet. Spiritually speaking, we're just like this book or we're just like that bullet. While we may get off to a great start, Along the way, some way, somehow, we are going to experience resistance. Are you with me? How many know that 2018 just started? Today is what, the 10th? Today is only the 10th day of the new year, right? The 11th, okay. See, that's how much resistance I've already hit. I'm still on 10. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But it, either way, it just started. Right? We're only into the first week and a half right, of 2018. And how many know that some of us, we've already come up against some resistance? Right? We've already come up against some resistance. While we may get off to a great start, now how many know that a lot of us, we, we, we start out the new year with a bang? Right? We start the new year with our, as soon as our feet hit the ground, we take off running. Can somebody say amen? Right? but we've already encountered resistance. See, hardships and difficulty get in our way and we lose our momentum. And that was the whole uh, meaning behind that illustration right there was, was to show you what momentum is or what momentum does, right? That's what momentum is. But see, along the way, hardships and difficulties are going to get in each and, each and every one of our ways. It's going to get in your way and it's going to get in my way. For some of us, it's already in our way. Can somebody say Amen. Some folks even come to a spiritual stop. 
Their momentum doesn't just slow down, but it slows down to the point where they spiritually stop. And for some of them, it's hard to get them started again. Huh? Because sometimes they get to a point where their momentum has gotten so slow that they've come to a spiritual stop and they've gotten comfortable and they prefer to stay that way. They no longer want to build any momentum. But you see, it's always been God's word and God's Holy Spirit has been that force in each and every one of our lives that has created that momentum for us. Are you with me? God's word and His Holy Spirit is the one that has been the one that has created that momentum in our lives to get us moving in the right direction. While some of us may not have encountered much resistance yet, others of us already feel like throwing in the towel. Huh? Some of us already feel like giving up. Don't say amen to that one. Amen. Don't say amen. Has anybody ever felt like throwing in the towel before? Ever felt like giving up? Praise the Lord. You can raise your hand to that one. I know I have. I know I have. I'm talking about 2017. Amen. 2017 just, just happened a week and a half ago. And like I said, God spoke this message to me first, talking about momentum. You know, because there's, like, again, I start, like a lot of people, in the beginning of the year, the beginning of something, I start great. I got goals, right? I got vision. I, I want to do this. I want to do that. And you get all excited. And then somewhere along the way, the momentum begins to slow down. It happens to me. It happened to me last year. Happens to everybody. Happens to everybody. So here tonight, I'm going to share a little bit on how can we maintain our spiritual momentum. Because how many know it's going to take momentum to get to the end of the year? How many know it's going to take the momentum to get to the end of next year? And the next year? And the next year? It takes momentum. It takes momentum. How can we keep on keeping on for Jesus and not run out of spiritual gas? Now that we've started the race, how can we finish it? Now that we've started the race, how can we finish the race? How many know we've all started the race? So how can we finish the race without running out of gas, spiritually speaking? Well, the answers are in here. Everybody got Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2 say, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here this, here this evening, how many know that we all are running the same race. There's a one race. There's actually two races. There's one race that each and every one of us in this room is running. That's the race of life. We're all running that race. Every single person in this world is running the same race, and that's the race of life. But here tonight, there's a second race, and hopefully, my prayer is that we're all in this race. You might not be in this race yet. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're not in this race, but you want to get in this race, and that's the race of faith. That's the race of faith. It's a different race. How do you know the race of life and the race of faith are not the same thing? See, we started the race of faith as we began a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm here to let you know tonight that the race of faith is not a 100-yard dash. Does anybody know what the 100-yard dash is? Okay, going back to high school again, amen? It's not a 100-yard dash. This is not a sprint. A race of faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And the finish line of faith comes when the life, this life, is over and we are welcomed into heaven. That's when the race of faith ends. 
Amen? And as we strive to run the race set before us, we can sometimes lose our momentum. We can sometimes lose our momentum. And here in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it shows us what we can do to maintain that spiritual momentum that we're going to need to do what God has called us to do. Are you with me? How can we overcome resistance and the energy that God has started and help keep us going until we cross the finish line? How many want to cross the finish line? Amen. Well, the first thing tonight in this race of faith, in this race of faith, I have to be encouraged to keep running by those that have gone ahead of me. I have to allow myself and you have to allow yourself to be encouraged by the people that have run up ahead of us, that have run ahead of us, that have run ahead of us. How many know there are people that have run ahead of us? Come on, how many know there are people that have run ahead of us? You see, in a typical race, see, I used to run track in high school. I know it doesn't look like it, amen, but I used to run track in high school, and I was actually pretty good at it, amen. I wasn't a long distance, I wasn't a marathon runner. I'm, you know, your brother, I don't know how he does it, amen. I wasn't a marathon, I tried it one time, but it, it wasn't for me, amen, because I used to go to Newark Memorial High School. Anybody know where Newark Memorial High School is in Newark? Well, they used to, they're, just their practice for the, the long distance team, their practice every day was they would run from Newark Memorial High School all the way to Lake Elizabeth, run all the way around Lake Elizabeth, and run all the way back. That was their practice every day. That's all they did every single day. I couldn't run around the track one time without stopping. Because I wasn't just, I was, a, I was a sprinter. I was fast. I had long legs. So I was fast, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of those ones that could just keep going and keep. I wasn't like an energizer bunny. I couldn't do it. So, anyways, so. And in the races that I raced in, and in any typical race, the runners compete against each other. Amen. Are you with me? In a race, you even guys watch the Olympics, right? In those races, the racers, they compete against each other. But in the race of faith, we are not competing with other runners. We're not competing against each other. I'm not running against you. You're not running against me. In this race, everyone who ends, who's in the race can win. Everybody in the race of faith has an opportunity to win. Come on, how many guys want to win? How many of you guys want to win for a change? Amen? Come on now. The race is a personal journey of faith leading us into heaven and the welcoming arms of Jesus. Huh? We run the race of faith not to compete, but to encourage. We run it to encourage Christians, or the, we don't, excuse me, we run the race of faith not to compete, but to encourage. Christians run ahead of others not to defeat them, but to show other believers how to run the race. Huh? We run to encourage each other so we can show the other people that are running the race on how to run the race. Huh? Are you showing somebody how to run the race that you're in? Or are you running solo? You see, in the race of faith, two groups of people are ahead of you. Two groups of people are ahead of you in this race. The first is a group that you can't see, but they can see you. Huh? The first group of runners, you can't see them, but they can see you. Most of these people you don't even know. You might have even heard their name before. Well, hopefully you've heard some of their You might have heard their names, but you've never met them. Amen? And they're cheering you on. How, many know, how do you guys like it when people cheer you on? How many of you guys really like it when people cheer you on? Well, there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses, it's talking about the grandstands of heaven. You see, the grandstands of heaven is filled with those who have finished the race. Huh? The ones that have finished the race, and they together, all together, are watching us continue to run the race that they've already won themselves. Huh? They raise their voices to cheer us on in victory. And Hebrews 11 is like the Hall of Fame of faith. 
Here we find the names of those that have gone before us, that have ran their race, that have finished their race, and they're in the Bible, amen, in the uh, Hall of Fame of Faith. Some of these names you should be very familiar with. There's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, right? We all know who they are. Maybe we don't know them personally, but we've heard of them. Can somebody say amen? And that's just a little bit. Chapter 11 and verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? Do I not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. 36 says, some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. 37 says, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. These are the ones that went before us and ran their race. And these are the ones that are cheering you on. These are the ones that are getting excited about you running the race. Can somebody say amen? And verse 38 says, and the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? Who knows? Nobody even knows who that guy is. Nobody knows who wrote that book. But here's what he's saying, whoever that guy is. Amen. He's saying, keep the faith. Keep running the race. Why? Those ahead of you who have finished the race are cheering you on. The grandstands of heaven are getting excited. Say, look at David, man. He's running his race. David, your dad is getting excited right now, man. He's watching you run your race. He's like, yes. He's running his race. Come on. They're cheering you on. See, some of these names we're not familiar with, but then there's those that we are familiar with. Like David, he knows somebody that's up there cheering him on. Huh? I know people that are up there. You know people that are your mom, your dad, your brother, your uncle, your cousin, your sister, your grandma, your grandpa. Come on, they're up there cheering you on. They ran their race. Now they're watching you run your race. I don't know about you, but to know that there's heaven, angels rejoicing in heaven when I'm running my race, that encourages me. That helps me run my race. That helps me not give up when it gets tough. Can somebody say Amen. Hebrews 11 describes some of those in the grandsons of heaven as the world was not worthy of. Those who endured persecution and even death at the hands of the pagan world. These are among the great clouds of witnesses who are cheering us on to finish the race of faith. Don't give in to the pressure of circumstances or life. The grandstands of heaven is cheering you on. That's the first group of runners. The second group of runners who can be, encouragement, who can be an encouragement to us are those that are still running the race. How many know there's still people running the race? Look at the person next to you. They're running the race. Everybody in this room, we should be running the race. Huh? We need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. We need each other. While the race of faith is run as individuals, we don't run alone. Even though we run our race individually, speaking, because how many know that each and every one of our relationships with Jesus Christ is very unique, right? It's very personal. Very personal. But how many know we still don't run alone? How you know we can't run alone? I can't run without you. I don't know. Again, when I ran track in high school, and we used to, you know, when we used to to practice, um, and I used to try to run around the track once, right? We used to run together as a group, and we used to encourage each other, like, "Come on, bro, you can do it." But when you're running by yourself, you're like, "Dang, man, <laughs> there ain't nobody to encourage you." 
right? But when you're running with two or three other guys and you're like, come on, bro, you can do it. You're like, yeah, come on, bro, you can do it. And you're not thinking about the things that you're going through. You're not thinking about the pain in your hamstring. Like, oh, God, right? You know, like, oh, God. And then like, come on, you can do it. You're like, okay, yeah, I can do it. All right. And you begin to forget about what you're going through. You start to forget about the pains. You start to forget about what life is throwing at you. You start forgetting about all that stuff the enemy's trying to throw in your face. Can somebody, is somebody with me here tonight? We need each other. I need you. You need me. Even if you don't think so. Like, I don't need that guy. You need me. Some crazy way, you need me. Right? Amen. One day you're going to get to heaven and go, oh, that's why I needed you. Right? Amen. But we need each other. And the Bible talks about the need for each other. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Bible says, We sent him, speaking of Timothy, to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from becoming disturbed by the troubles you were going through. Anybody ever been disturbed before? And then also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says, Encourage one another and build each other up. How many love it when your brother or sister builds you up? When your brother or sister encourages you when you're going through something? Doesn't it feel good? Amen. You see, Paul sent Timothy to the church in Thessalonica to encourage them. And Timothy would serve the church, of course, as a pastor. But it's not just up to the pastor or the pastors or the leadership. Huh? Come on now. Are you with me, church? It's not just up to us, huh, to encourage other believers. That's why Paul concluded his letter to the church by telling them to encourage one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, he said, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So look around this room here tonight, and some of the people around you, they might be ahead of you in the race, or they might even be behind you in the race, but they're running with you. They're running with you. Even the ones that are behind you, they're just as important as the ones that are ahead of you. Huh? Because the ones in front of you can pull you, but the ones behind you can push you. Sometimes we need to be pulled, but sometimes we need to get pushed too. That's another message, amen? But we all need each other to successfully run the race. How many of you guys are ready to run the race? So first, to run the race of faith requires being encouraged by those ahead of you. And secondly, to run the race of faith effectively, we have to break free from the things that will trip us up. We have to break free from the things that will trip us up. How many of you know that the enemy loves to trip us up? But I'm not going to talk about him. Because how many of you know everybody talks about him? It's all about him. The devil's always trying to get me. The devil's doing this. The devil's doing that. The enemy, the enemy. How many know sometimes we're the enemy? Huh? Sometimes you're tripping yourself up. Sometimes I trip myself up. Right? But we always try to say, oh, the devil. Come on, man. He's probably like, what? You know? He's like, what? I didn't even do anything, man. Come on. He's like, give me a He's probably looking at the guy like, really? I get blamed for everything. Right? But we do it to ourselves. Hebrews chapter 12, again, back to our original text, it says there, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. See, it doesn't say throw off the devil that so easily entangles us, right? It says the sin. You see, an athlete doesn't carry any excess baggage with them or with her when it's time to compete in their sport. Amen? They take only what is necessary. Everything else is left behind, Right? Has anybody ever watched a triathlon before? Ever watched a triathlon? You know what a triathlon is? You might not even know what a triathlon is. You know, I have no idea what that is. Well, a triathlon is actually three events in one. It's three different 
they're not really necessarily sport. I guess you say sports, but three different events in one. It's swimming, bicycling, and running. You don't do it at the same time, obviously, because you can't swim, bicycle, and run at the same time. Amen. But you start with one and you end with the other one. But for each of these three events, the athletes that are a part of these, this event only take what is necessary for each event. Imagine if the race began and each and every one of them, they got up to the, the end of the pier there to jump in the, the ocean and they had a, you know, a pair of bicycling shoes in this hand and a pair of running shoes in this hand and a bicycle strapped on their back, getting ready to dive into the, the ocean for the swimming. They don't take everything with them. They take just what is necessary. Huh? Too often we run the race of faith like a runner with a 75-pound backpack strapped to our back. Huh? We jump in the race. We got this big, giant backpack. We're carrying two suitcases of stuff with us. Amen. And we wonder why we can't keep up. What the problem is? <laughs> What's the problem? How come I'm not building any momentum? Why? Because there's something hindering us. There's something tripping us up. It's that excess baggage. There's two things that will weigh us down. The first is the unnecessary. Look at your neighbor and say, the unnecessary. These are the things that hinder our growth or hinder our momentum. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, I'm reading out of a bunch of different translations, so you might like, what? This one's out of the message. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come on now. Somebody say freely and lightly. Amen. I can feel that lightly thing. I need to get light. Then it goes on to say, Matthew chapter 11, for my yoke fits perfectly, and the burden I give you is light. The yoke that I give you fits, fits you perfectly. Have you ever put on something that fits you perfectly? Anybody ever got a, a, a suit, like, fitted to you before? I haven't, but someday, amen, I'll be able to go to the men's warehouse. I used to always like watching those commercials. Men's warehouse, you're going to love it. I guarantee it. Right? But I put something on that, you know, it wasn't, you know, tailored just for me, but it did fit me perfectly. But when you put something on that fits you perfectly, doesn't it feel good? Like, wow, man, ooh, come on now. You're like, yeah, woo. You start feeling yourself, you're like, yeah, I like this. Right? And then usually you have to look down at the price tag and go, oh, I don't like it that much. <laughs> Amen? But see, Jesus wants us to live a life of freedom. Could somebody say, hallelujah? See, he will never weigh us down with a burden that will crush us. Okay, he's never going to weigh us down with a burden that will crush us. But it doesn't say he's never going to give you a burden. But what he does say is, I will never give you a burden that will crush you. See, what Jesus gives to us will fit us perfectly. It's tailor-made and light as a feather. So what are some of these unnecessary burdens that we hold on to that hinder us or slow down our momentum? Remember, we're talking about momentum, right? One is guilt from our past sin. You know, I'm not here saying, okay, well, we're all sinners. You guys are all sinning right now. But no, some of us, we, we used to do certain things, right? Well, sometimes, let me know, that guilt will come up about these things that we've done in the past. But that's just me. Okay. God sees you right now. Just kidding. Guilt from our past sin. That's a big one. That'll, that'll, that won't only just slow somebody down. That'll, that'll trip them up. That's tripped me up a few times. That's tripped me up a few times. I'm not going to get too much into these because I'm, I'm going somewhere, but I just want you to think about them. Another one is a painful past. 
the grief and injury we maybe we've experienced in the past, maybe it was physical, maybe it was emotional, maybe it was financial, who knows, maybe it was even spiritual pain, huh, or grief. Another one is expectations of other people. How many know people will put expectations on us? How many know that we're not called to meet other people's expectations? We're called to meet his expectations. Huh? Because if you try to meet people's expectations, then you become a people pleaser, not a Jesus pleaser. God doesn't want people pleasers. Another one is worry and fear about the future. I'm here to let you know you're going to die. Don't worry. You don't have to worry anymore. I just already told you what's going to happen. You're going to die. We're all going to die one day. Don't worry. Put it all the rest. Amen. Number five, the use of our time. The use of our time. These are some of the things that will slow us. How many know if you're not, if you don't got good time management, that will slow you down. That will hinder you. That will trip you up. I'm talking to myself. Amen. Again, remember, God spoke this to me. Another one is anger, money, possessions, right? A lot of times. You go after the bigger car, the bigger house, the bigger this, the bigger that, the better this. How many know we always want the bigger, better thing? And then someone, once we end up getting the bigger, better thing, we look back and go, man, it wasn't even worth it. If we look at everything that we lost, slowed us down, right? So, man, I, I want to I own a house one day. I've, I've seen people that have, they just, you know, that's all they've done. They've just, I got to work, got to work, got to work, got to save, got to save, got to save, got to work, got to work. Because why? Because I want a house, I want a house, I want a house. And there's nothing wrong with wanting stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with desiring things. Amen. If it's in the right context, when you look at what Jesus wants for your life, right? You say, okay, God, what is it you've called me to do? What's, the, what's your purpose for my life? And then everything revolves around that. God is going to bless you. Then God is going to say, okay, well, I'm going to bless you accordingly to that. This is what I want to do in your life. And when you begin to embrace that calling, you begin to embrace that plan and that purpose, God will bless you. But when we, but when we put that aside and say, no, but this is what I want. I want this. After I get this, then I'll come over here and, and okay, Jesus. But how many don't know that that never happens? I don't know why I went there. Somebody say, come on back. Come on. <laughs> come on. I might. Only because I've seen, it, I've seen it over and over again. That's why. That's the only reason why I'm laboring this point. That's the only reason why, because I've seen it. And there's, again, there's nothing wrong with going after things. Again, in the correct context. When you have true motive, you have pure motive. Because why? Because you, know, you understand where God is calling you. You understand what God wants to do in your life. And those, are the, those things are going to help enhance that calling. Those are going to allow you to be able to fulfill the calling. Huh? Because I see people, they, they get new cars, they get new big houses, and, you know, it's like, they, I, I, they never offer me a ride. They don't, you know, they don't invite me over for, you know, coffee or, you know, it's like nobody ever sees the inside of the house. You know, but they like to talk about it. You know, you see them cruising, boom, 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 boom bumping down the street, right? But, you know, they're not picking nobody up, bringing them to church in that new car, right? You know, you see, you see where I'm going? Hey, man, I'm going to come back. Okay. Give me another drink of water. You guys getting something out of this? Okay, praise God. In and of themselves, none of these burdens are morally wrong or very or sinful. They're not wrong. They're not sinful. None of these things. But the longer you hold on to it, anything that's unnecessary, an unnecessary weight, the greater the likelihood it will become a stumbling block and lead you into sin. In and of themselves, they're not bad. But how do you know when you put something in the hands of a human, 
for some reason, we're able to turn it into something very bad. Because we're very covetous people. Right? We're very greedy people by nature. That's just how we are. It all started with Adam and Eve. Right? That whole nature started right there. And it's just snowballed ever since. But in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. Again, but if you hold on to them long enough, they can be. And then the second thing that will weigh us down, first thing was what? Unnecessary things. And the second thing is ungodly things. You see, sin will trip us up and keep us from being able to run the race of faith. The Bible says to let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The the unnecessary is followed closely by the ungodly. Break free from these things. Breaking free from these things. Break free from these things that will trip you up and keep you from being able to run the race of faith. You've got to break away from them. You've got to break away from them. Have you ever, seen a, any, you ever seen a race on TV, like during the Olympics, and they're running, they're running, especially one of those long races where they're kind of all running together for a long time. They're just going and going and going and going, you know, and they're like, maybe there's a line of about 15 of them. They're right behind each other. I mean, they're like, you know, you could, they could probably feel each other's breath on the back of each other's neck. They're so close to each other, and they're just running and running and running. Then all of a sudden, out of the back of the pack, one of them, Cuts to the side, and he breaks away. You ever seen that happen before? And then he begins to pass one, he begins to pass another, he begins to pass another. Pretty soon, he begins to pull out ahead, and then he begins to leave everybody behind him. That's what we need to do with those ungodly things in our life. Sometimes we run with them, we run with them, we run with them, we run with these things for so long. But God is saying, no, you got to break free. you got to break free from things. you got to step to the side and begin to pass them up and begin to break away. Go, oh, come on, we need to break away. We need to break free from these things. Because if you don't, they're going to trip you up. You ever seen those runners in the race? You see them trip and fall. You know, and you see them like, oh, God, look like I heard. That's what's going to happen to us in the spirit. We continue to run with these things, these unnecessary things, these ungodly things, huh? these things that hinder us, the sin that's in our lives. I don't know what you have in your life. I don't know where you're at in your, your race. But God does, and so do you. You know those things that are hindering you. You know the things that are slowing you down. You know the sin that's in your life. Not me, but God does. In Genesis chapter 4, it says, Sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. You see, you're carrying some weights and burdens that you should set down. You're entertaining some thoughts that are unhealthy for you spiritually. You've got to break free. Look at your neighbor and say, break free. Psalms chapter 90, verse 8 says this, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God knows. God knows. Don't hide. Don't, don't think you're hiding anything. I know I, I tell God, you know, I, like, I, I know you can see it. <laughs> you know, I know you see it. I'm here to let you know. It's just maybe there's somebody here who doesn't know. God sees it. You can't hide it from him. It says right there, you have set our iniquities before you. He's got it right in front of him. Hmm? Our secret sins. Not the ones everybody knows about. I'm talking about those secret ones. Those are the ones that we got to break away from. Those are the ones we got to like, pew. no, you're gone. You're out of here. I'm done. We must let go of our secret sins. We can't hide them from God. The sin we hold on to will only stunt our growth and slower our momentum. Or worse, kill us spiritually. If you're going to maintain your spiritual momentum, you got to break free from that sin that would hold you back. So maintaining our spiritual momentum means or requires being encouraged by those ahead of us, breaking free from the things that trip us up. And thirdly, as I run or as we run, we must determine to never give up until we cross the finish line. 
Hebrews chapter 12 again says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The race has been marked out for us. The race has been marked out for us. So we have to persevere. Perseverance, we, must, we all must come to the place in the race of faith where we say, I won't turn back. I won't give up. I will finish the race. Huh? We all have to come to that point. I had 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 to come to that point where I said, I'm done. That's it. I'm never going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I might get discouraged. Right? I might get tired. I might trip a little bit. I might stumble. I might slow down. But I'm not going to give up. Huh? I'm not going to give up. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not going to give up. I finished the race. Some of us want to throw in the towel too quickly. Huh? We think we're, we think we're already beat. Huh? We get hit with something and we think, oh, that's it. I'm going to throw in the towel. Right? We think, oh, that's it. It's over. I'm done. When we are not sure what to do, when we feel like giving up, that's not the time to act on our emotions and our feelings. It's a choice to press on. It's a choice to press on. We have to choose to press on. It doesn't just come naturally. Pressing on and persevering doesn't come naturally yet. It doesn't come yet. It's a choice. It's a choice to continue to run the race. I chose to continue to run the race. I could have gave up many times. I could have gave up many times. And in some ways, some shape or form, I, I, maybe I, I did. But until that day, I made that choice. And I shared it before. I made that choice when I was sitting in a jail cell. I made the choice. You know, my prayer is that you would not be in a place like that when you make that choice. Tonight, you can make that choice. To never give up. To not go back. Can somebody say amen? James chapter 1 says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes we need to stop and wait upon God. Sometimes we need to just stop and wait upon God. Let him do his work within us before we try to take another step. Uh, sometimes that's why we get tripped up, right? Because we try, to, we try to run faster than we're able to, right? Sometimes our head's a little bit faster than our feet, right? Like right now, I know I can't run. And if I try, I'm probably going to trip and fall. <laughs> Amen? So, uh, but sometimes our head is, you know, faster than our feet. But we have to sometimes just stop. Let God do the work in you. Let God do the work in you. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, but those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Look at your neighbor and say, don't lag. Let God be God. See, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to say that again. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. You will not lack anything. He will give you the strength to press on and to run the race set before you. And perseverance has a reward. How many of you guys like rewards? Oh, come on. I don't know about you, but I like rewards. Not only will it keep us moving, but one day we will cross the finish line. The race will be over and the prize will be ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You're not running this race for nothing. You're not running this race for nothing. How do you know sometimes it could feel like that? We're running, we're getting tired. Like, man, what am I even doing this anymore, man? I'm not even seeing any fruit. I'm just getting tired. Things are happening. What's going on? What's happening? 
But the Bible says that your labor is not in vain if you persevere. If you persevere. Here, Hebrews chapter 10 says, patient, is, and in, patient endurance is what you need now so you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. How do you know that God is a man of his word? How do you know God is a man of his word? If he says he's going to give you something, he's going to give it to you. You just got to persevere. Don't give up. Make the choice to run the race of faith and cross the finish line. You can win the prize is waiting for you. It's there already. You just got to get there. You just got to get there. That's the great thing about this race. Everybody can win. Yeah. All you got to do is cross the finish line. Yeah. We're not racing against each other. I don't got to beat anybody, right? Because people, there's people that haven't started the race yet, but they're going to start, right? So I'm not going to stop and wait for them per se, I'm going to keep running my race, right? And they're going to run their race. And the ones that are ahead of me are running their race. So when they cross the finish line, they don't win alone by themselves. No, I'm going to win too. All I got to do is cross the finish line. And when the ones that started the race behind me, when they cross the finish line, they're going to win. Everybody has an opportunity to win. The prize is waiting for you. It's already there. You see, maintaining my spiritual momentum first requires what? Being encouraged by those ahead of us. Free from the things that trip us up and choosing to persevere until each one of us has crossed the finish line. And fourth, running this race requires a single-minded focus. Running this race requires a single-minded focus. Verse 2 in chapter 12 of Hebrews says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Pay attention to what this verse does not say. It doesn't say fix your eyes on your pastor. Doesn't say fix your eyes on the leadership. Doesn't say fix your eyes on the person sitting next to you. Doesn't say fix your eyes on your boss. Doesn't say fix your eyes on the people that live next door to you. Doesn't say that. It says fix your eyes on Jesus. Huh? Why does it say that? Because people are going to fail you. If you focus on me, you focus on me, it's going to mess you up. Only because I'm not perfect. I'm, I have flaws. I have you know, shortcomings. The Bible says that we've all fall short of the glory of God, right? We all fall short. We, none of us are perfect. Only God, Jesus is perfect. That's why we got to put our focus on him. Only Jesus will never fail you. We will fail you. Men will fail you. Humans will fail you. It's just a fact. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And you can't do that from a distance. You can only do that up close and personal. You can't follow Jesus from a distance. You can't, because when you read the Bible, and you read about the disciples, but there wasn't just 12. When you read the Bible, there was a bunch of people following him. There was a bunch of people that were disciples. There was a lot. I mean, there was just, there was a lot of people. But the ones that were trying to follow from a distance, right? How many know the 12 were right there around him? They were the ones that were right around him, right? But then there were the ones that were behind, that were back there from, at a distance, going, oh, look, there's Jesus. You see, oh, yeah, there he is. And they were following him, right? They were following him, they were, but they were way back. They were following him from a distance. And what happens when he began to lay down the law? He began, began to get really real with them and says, this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's going to take. All of a sudden, what happened? They're like, oh, shoot. And they turned around. And they, walked, they went back. And they walked away. Because they were following Jesus from a distance. You can't focus on Jesus from a distance. You got to get up close and personal. Come on, say up close and personal. 
You see, when my life or your life doesn't line up with Jesus, that's going to be one of the first things that you're going to have to do to me is you're going to have to forgive me. Amen? Because, I mean, my life is not going to always line up with Jesus.